1: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to this World Game Changers podcast episode, where today I am joined by two ladies from America, one that needs no introduction because she's been here many, many times before, a fellow World Game Changers director, Kristen Johnson from California. Kristen, a very warm welcome to you yet again.
2: Thank you, Paul. Thrilled to be here with you and Maxine.
1: And Maxine, Maxine Clark from St. Louis in United States of America. Yet again, Maxine, an extremely warm welcome to you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, too. So, listeners, what we thought we'd talk around in this blessed beyond belief theme is all things being equal. There's a reason for that. But without me letting the cat out of the bag too soon, I'm going to hand over to Kristen to get the show on the road. Kristen, all things being equal. Any thoughts?
2: Yes, I was actually thinking about this and reading about this before we jumped on. And equality is uh, the giving everyone a chance, no matter where they start from, no matter where they come from. It's the American dream, and uh, it's a dream throughout the world. But I think that uh, depending on where you're born, there are varying obstacles to that. uh, Some even greater than we have in America, but obviously we have our own barriers and, uh, but equality is just something that, uh, I think we're born with. It's our birthright, but, uh, depending on the circumstances, we don't always, that doesn't always show up, but it is something that is ingrained in the human condition. So, and I, certainly passionately believe in it, and I know Maxine does too. Uh, Maxine, where did this um, equal, uh, passion for equality start for you?
3: Uh, way back when, when I was a child, uh, my mother was a um, civil rights activist. She had worked um, during World War II um, and a little bit prior to uh, for Eleanor Roosevelt and was one of her secretaries that traveled with her took notes, you know, dictation, uh, shorthand, all that good stuff, typing. And my mother learned a lot on the road with Eleanor Roosevelt. And when she came back uh, to Miami after Franklin died and my married my father, she and several of her friends um, started a school for children with Down syndrome, except it wasn't called Down syndrome then. It was called Mongoloidism. And children were were what she had seen when she was on the road with, with um, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt was that children were like with Down syndrome were put in asylums because they couldn't be cured. Um, And they were living terrible lives that they didn't have any reason to live like that. And so um, all across the country at that time in the 50s, uh, women were starting schools um, for children with different abilities. My mother didn't say disability, she said different abilities. And that was probably my first introduction to how we all have something to contribute. We all have um, a reason for being on this planet and I looked at it more from that angle than from any other angle. I mean, I didn't know that we were we were different. My we didn't have my parents didn't go to college. My uh, we didn't live in a fancy house, but we had a, a a good life. And our neighbors looked out for each other. You could you didn't have to lock. I never had a key to my house. You didn't have to have a key to the house. You could just come and go. And and almost everyone that I talked to, black or white, Hispanic, if you grew up in America, in an in, in, you had a neighborhood re- memory like that and probably in every country um civilized country in the world too you had memories of your family being more than the people that lived in your house the lady next door who made sure you were you know she saw you walk in your house because your mom was at a meeting or was working you know the people that uh, took care of you if your parents went out of town and I said, Oh, yeah, sure, they can stay over here. But your dog walking, letting your dog out without a leash, you know, I have so many memories of my dog walking with me um, up to the store to get stuff that my mother gave me the money for that today, I would, most parents wouldn't let their children walk that far without an adult. And my dog wasn't ferocious. So he wouldn't have been much of a protector. But <laughs> the idea that you could live like that, and I think that's what people crave. That's the common thing that we all have, is that we want to be safe, we want to be have friends. We want to live in a, in a nice home in a nice street where there's good schools and shopping and transportation. Uh, It might look different to to some people, but that growing up when I did in the fifties and sixties, it was much more equitable. We were, there was a a larger middle-class. We had, we didn't, you know, you had people in your neighborhood that were doctors, that were lawyers, that were teachers, that were policemen, that were truck drivers. My father was an electrician. And you you got to see that that it, it didn't you didn't even know what people made. You didn't know their politics. You just lived in a neighborhood with people and humans and friends and dogs and cats and you know all the other kind of things that go along with being a child in those days. And I feel like that's what we're all craving is that connection, that that um needing to be seen as a person, uh, not as a skin color, not as a gender, not as tall or short, not as um, 75 years old or 17 years old, but as a human being that has something to contribute. And so that's how I look at it and it's the way it was it was taught to me, the way my family lived and I lived. I didn't know there were differences between people uh, just because they looked different than me because everybody looked different than me. I was small, you know, I, my mother said I wasn't small, I was under tall. But uh, the um, you know so things like that, that that put your perspective in a different in a different uh, place so that you can look at the world with much more um, optimism.
2: I love that. And I love the fact that we are all craving that. I, I grew up that same way and I, I love your mother's sense of humor. That's, that's, uh, that's so great. And and it just seems like uh, there's so much, there's so much division now and, and that that sense of community has uh, become fractured. And I think that's what we're all trying to, trying to recapture and what, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you've been trying to do to bring back with some of your endeavors, for example, Build-A-Bear, Del Mar Divine, the Clark Fox Family Foundation. How do you try to bring some of that community back and recapture it that you had as a child where it didn't matter what you were or what you made or what your Mm -hmm. skin color was?
3: Right. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, so many of our things come from our upbringing and that's why it's so important that we help families today um, do all that they can for their children to give their children a best start in life because a different start than I had. I mean, I grew up in the 50s and 60s and the um, we didn't have to even go to kindergarten. You know, when we went to first grade is when we learned to read. I don't even remember my parents reading to me, although maybe they did, but I don't remember that. But I am a ferocious reader because I love to read. Once I learned to read it, it opened up so many doors for me and it opened up my imagination. But I really believe that um, we have so much potential in each of us and that our job is to make sure that we see um, everybody as an individual and, you know, try to my again my curiosity comes out of me and i have a million questions when i meet someone I go, oh, where did you come from and how long have you lived here and you know where did you, wh- how many times did you move and you know when you in all of that you find some common ground you know in in asking questions of people not just always talking yourself as an interviewer i'm sure you know this you find out so much about life that you didn't have to do it yourself to be able to benefit from somebody else's experiences and that's really how i see it i'm a problem solver I, when I know that something's broken and my mother was a problem solver, my father was a problem, he was an electrician. That was what he went out to do is fix uh, people's you know, hookups and things like that. So I, I said, if I know something's um, broken and I know there's a solution somewhere or I don't know yet, but I want to fi- see if anybody else is fixing it properly, I'll go and do that. And I don't have to do it. I'll bring the people together to do it. Well, we just had a meeting here a few uh, days ago with um, some professors of uh, education here in St. Louis that teach early childhood literacy, because literacy is a problem in our world, especially in our country. Um, people oh, yeah. loving, to read, loving to read. And I can't make a child, I, I couldn't hit enough children to, to make them love to read. But how do we open up all of the systems and solutions that we do have that work in some neighborhoods, but maybe not in others, because they don't have access um, to that uh, experience? For instance, about a third of all children have some form of dyslexia. And there are schools that you can go to to, to really help you with that. But they cost $40,000 a year. So every child who has dyslexia doesn't have $40,000 a year. No child does. It's their parents or their grandparents that has that wherewithal. And so how do we bring that learning from that school that teaches those children that charges $40,000 into more mass um, material, available? train more teachers in public schools, train people, um, put reading specialists that know how to do, with it, do this. Um, into community so that every child can have that that opened up for them, that door that because reading is everything. I mean, if you can read, you can go everywhere in the world. And certainly you can see the pictures, but if you can't read the words under the picture, you don't know exactly where that is, you know, and yet now you have all these audio opportunities. That's another option, obviously. But the same thing is true, understanding of words, being able to write and spell and, and understand and have a joy in it, not terror. Because you don't, you can't see the words the same way somebody else does. So it, it starts with things like that. And we, we can't I can't solve it. No one person at that table could solve it. But together, we came up with some really good ideas in our neighborhood, in our area, where we think we can have impact. And I can deploy them because they're the experts. I'm just a, I'm just a, a um, mediator. I'm just a convener of people. I bring people together. And then I facilitate that conversation that they want to have with each other. But they feel a little bit reserved. Well, who am I to tell them what to do? Or I know money's a problem. Schools don't have that much money. But you know, I I take all that away. My my thing is, I forget the how much it costs. Let's not worry about the money right now. Let's just dream the dream supreme, and then we'll figure out how to do it on a Ford budget. But let's first not leave out anything because we think it will cost too much money. Forget that, and that always brings up a lot more creativity. By the way, um, because people always, especially in education or in any. Uh, Work where you're doing in a in a community where equity is an issue. It's always about money, and uh, it and it does cost money. I'm not saying it doesn't, but that shouldn't be our barrier. That should be something that we we have to um, achieve in order to um, go to the to the full dream supreme. But not something that we need to have to get started. Because getting started is the idea. Sitting at the table, understanding the problem, and starting to map out the solutions uh, to the problem or the steps towards solutions to the problem, and that's not doesn't take a dime. It just takes time. And time is money, but but it, it sometimes people just, that they use it as an excuse, we'll never get the money. So they never talk about it. They never come up with the solutions. And that's just not me. And I read voraciously all over the world, by the way, um, to find out the solutions that people have to different problems. It's not a problem just in America, but it's a big problem in America.
2: Paul, any thoughts?
1: I have, but this is a completely left field one. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating listening to you two talk about this. And I I am going to come in with a completely left field one. Before I do that, Maxine, I'm just fascinated, as I've said, but the one thing that's really gripped me very humorously, and and isn't it true that humor is a great bridge between between us as humans, irrespective of the labels, but your mother's saying about you being under tall, well, I, I mean, you know, under tall. I'll use that sometime again in the future. Under tall, sure, I love that, love that.
3: I found out later that also um Garfield, the cartoon character, he said he's not overweight; he's under tall. And I thought I it made I made me laugh because my mother used to say I was just under tall. I wasn't short sometimes people call me a pipsqueak, you know, things like that, names that kids call you pipsqueak. And I my, told that to my mother because she didn't like names. She, she actually, you know, if she would wash your mouth, out with soap. If you used a, a, a slang or a, some kind of a name for someone, she said, um, you're not short, you're under tall. And I thought about it, it maybe it really gave me a different perspective. And my favorite animal is a giraffe. I love giraffes and they're very tall because they see over like, and that's kind of how I did too. People just would sometimes see over me, but I could see at the desk. I could see what was the, my boss was the writing on his desk. I could see that that note. I could see things the teacher was grading. I could see all these things because I was at that level. I was at more ground level where and I but I like being way up above and seeing the big picture too, like the draft can see.
1: And some would say, Maxine that despite you being on the tall, paradoxically you stood on the uh the shoulders of giants with your vision to to achieve what you've yeah. achieved.
3: We all have, we all have, we all have people, teachers, mentors, friends, and you know what we all have is so much in common. Mm -hmm. We have so much in common when we get back to those stories of our childhood or of our high school years. I have never found anyone that that can't tell me a similar. And oh, oh, I did that too. You know, like or that I went to that concert, but in Miami, not in St. Louis or wherever I went. And and there's where we have the common we can, we can speak from a common space that's music and food and travel and, uh, reading and, you know, common books and book clubs, you know, have been one of those things that have also brought a lot of people together. But if we think about the differences, we think, oh, you're black, I'm white, or you're tall, I'm short, or you're a woman, I'm a man. Like if we think about that, we won't get anywhere. And I think we've gotten away from that a lot in politics and in, in many other ways, but we have to pull it back. And, and I I do, I've never pulled away. That's been my, um, my joy, actually, I think like during COVID or, you know, what was great for me during COVID was I could be in a meeting in St. Louis in the morning and a, or in the UK in the morning that lots of people I had never met before were on a Zoom call from the UK. And I could be in St. Louis in a couple hours. I could be in the LA in the afternoon. I I had I was going to meetings I had never been able to attend because you wouldn't just fly out for a day. You know, you wouldn't do that. But then you could be in these meetings. And I learned so much. And I think like it made me stop and think that I'm missing a lot, you know, I do a lot, but I'm also missing a lot in how to stay connected to people that I don't know, join in on some of these calls that I, I join in on that I know I could be doing something else, but I'm always glad after it o- it's over that I learned something, you know, that, and that's my curiosity. Again, that is my driving force. I am so nosy. Um And I've used that word in a positive way. Uh It drives me to know more, not necessarily to do more, to help other people also, do more to other people understand where they're coming from and help them get into their, um, their their space that they want to be in. And so many people ask me that. They probably ask both of you that. Well, what could do you know some place where I could volunteer, or do you know something that? How do I do? How do I? How do you find find time for that? Like. I can always find, I can always help somebody with that kind of question because they just don't know. They, they, there are so many things they would be really interested in that would drag that once they went to that one meeting or met that one person, they would be forever connected to that, that space. So it's a, it's joyful work, really. It's kept me uh, much younger than my years. Hmm.
1: So the question I was going to ask, because of the uh, the road that we've gone down, Maxine, with this uh you know this this recent uh, more recent dialogue is i'm, I'm still gonna i want to hold that question back because this is fascinating and something that's gripped me there is what you're alluding to the stories we tell ourselves boy isn't that very very powerful in our lives in our world yeah. what from what age can you recall that because what's coming through to me maxime rightly or wrongly is from a very early age Uh, probably due to the influence of your parents, there was a really self-empowering set of stories that you were telling yourself. And and that's obviously carried through in, in, you know, throughout your life. And I just, I'm just intrigued to one hear what your earliest recollections are of that self-empowerment, although you probably didn't view it in that context at the time. Um, And two, you know, how, You know, give give us a story. Tell us a story around that. You know, something that if I came to you, Maxine, as a stranger down on my look and, you know, telling myself a poor story because you're clearly a very, very inspirational soul. You know, tell me tell me a little bit of a story to uplift me, to give me hope. And that enters another word. But we'll park that word for a moment called hope. Yeah. You
3: know, when you're a child, you're you're, you know, very much into your own, you know, needs and wants I want the bicycle I want the Barbie doll I want the this so I want the that and, and um we didn't have my you know my, my parents said no a lot but I can't remember what I really missed anything like did I not because I had a used bike did I not be able to get from one place to another in my neighborhood no I mean and my father polished it up so it looked like a new bike but the um questions the my mother empowered you know, she she forced this on me I, God bless her I didn't always like it you know but when I would ask a question, like, you know, how does this work? Or why? She said, go look it up in the World Book. We used to, sub- we had the World Book Encyclopedia and some people had the Britannica Encyclopedia in their house and it was expensive. And I didn't know how expensive it was, but my my parents paid like $5 a month to have it. And we would get, and I would go and look it up and then you'd start turning the pages and you'd be reading more and more and more. And that was the empowerment that my mother didn't do my homework for me. Never, never. I mean, in fact, I, I remember that, um, I was doing a book report in uh, in third grade on uh, something from Ed, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and I my one of my my mother was very artistic, and I wanted her to help me with the cover. Just it's not my homework. I already did all my homework. It's your it's your homework. And so when I did the project, it was uh, about the black cat. And when I did the project, I got an A plus on it. And I didn't I didn't even want to show my mother that she was right. You know, like I got the A plus because she forced me to do the work and make it my own creative project but I was, she was right. And I didn't want to tell her that she was right. Mom, you're right. You know, like, but finally I did show it to her and said, she of course said, see, I told you so, but she was right. And it made me always think about what can I do? You know, what, what, and I started then got older. I started before I asked my mother, I went and did the work and I said, mom, what do you think? You know, this is how I thought about it. What do you think? And so I think that's how we grow in the world is letting us fall down pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and start all over again that's just one of the stories i mean there are a million of them we, you know we, our neighborhood was a neighborhood you know we my mother worked i was, she was one of the few mothers that worked and when i would come home from school you know i could see my other my next door neighbor in her kitchen window and she'd wave to me so that i she knew i knew she saw me and that i was now home and i'd go inside the house and change my clothes and either go out and play or I would stay in the house and read or I would go over to her kitchen and sit on her step stool in her kitchen and watch her cook cuz my mother was not a good cook and I thought I'll learn how to cook from Doris but I never did learn how to cook I mean I didn't do that but I but I got other wisdom from her you know I got other grown up wisdom that wasn't that different than my mother's but because it came from somebody else it had more validity sometimes you know you just or it it just solidified it so I, I just think that all of us have stories like that. When I tell that story to people at different times, or they'll say, oh, I, I have one to tell you too, like that. And then we get into this common, we find this common ground that we were once all children and we all had questions and we still do. We still are, keep our, I always say to people, all the college kids I taught, keep your kid think, keep your curiosity, keep your willingness to ask questions. You don't know everything. And no employer wants you to know everything. They want you to grow and learn and prosper in their company. So listen and ask questions. Um, again, it's back to my superpower. It, it, it really controls everything that I do. And I'm not, I'm not, maybe sometimes I was careful about how many times I raised my hand to, for, to ask a question. But in, my, in third grade, I'll never forget this. My teacher, Mrs. Fatinas, I'll never forget her. She um, wrote on my report card that I asked too many questions. In the third grade, you're eight or nine years old. And my mother, that's the only time I remember her going to school. For me mad that the teacher was discouraging me her her, her her you know very curious daughter from asking questions in the third grade and so then when my mother stood up for me for that i knew that i could ask as many questions as i wanted and my mother's been gone for 50 over 50 years and i still hear her and i'm talking to you and i can hear her in my head i can hear her saying these things to me and i'm so glad that she said them to me so strongly because they've stayed with me for all this time. And she was a character. My mother was a definitely my father was a character. He was a different kind of character. But they were both just the who they were. And you know, they 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 worked hard to to have a good life for us. And I'm glad I got to witness that as long as I did. My mother died young and my father was lived to be 90. But I I um they were both very simple, wise people. My mother wasn't so simple, but my father was a pretty simple guy. Mm.
1: Music, you mentioned music as well there, Maxine. Um, You know, I think it's so easy to say, obviously, about music is vibrational. Music is uplifting, uh, uh, and of course it is. You know, to what degree did that have an influence or a profound influence, if I can even slip that word in there, in your life, in your upbringing? Yeah. How important do you see music in breaking down barriers of inequality? Yeah, um really a lot because well music is the story
3: of our lives. You know, when you go back to all the music of the fifties, forties, fifties, I'm a Frank big Frank Sinatra fan. I I when I listen to the words, I hear my own thoughts, my own, the Beatles. you know, growing up in that time, there was so much music and I felt like I'm sure my parents felt they couldn't understand it, but I, I could hear the words. Now I can't always understand the words and all the songs. But one thing that I wanted, to, I forgot to mention earlier thats really important. I grew up in the time of uh, when Anne Frank's diary was released to the public.
2: Oh and, yeah.
3: and I thought that I lived in Miami, the Cuban missile crisis, right? You know, we, we thought we were, we might not see our parents at the end of the day. And I started keeping a diary of writing down my thoughts because Anne Frank um, impressed me that she she saved her her thoughts so that the rest of us could understand. And so I thought, I'll I want to do that. I had a thing about she was not anonymous. She might not have known that we all knew her. Obviously, she didn't know. She died before we. She was really famous to all of us. But I thought somebody should write this down: how they're feeling, why this is scary, you know, why we're you know struggling with this. And when I. You know, so I, I had my own journal and I can still go back to that. Um, I don't keep it as much anymore because my I have all these calendars, these Google calendars. I can go back and know what was going on that day, but I go back and I read it and I said, that's still me. You know, that's, that that day on whatever day we're on now, um, August 11th in, in 1966 or 56, maybe not in 56, but 66 for sure. I was writing. I could, the, the same things that would bother me then, the inequities in at school, the the social system at school still bothers me today, but now I can do I can do more about it. I'm more empowered to do something uh, about it. But um, it was everywhere. you know I lived in Miami. we had Cuban uh, refugees coming to Miami every day and it was, it was fun, but not everybody thought that. And I, you know, I thought, why wouldn't everybody be think this is exciting to learn Spanish, to be helping somebody find their classroom, to why would that not be fun? Um, but that was what you started to learn, that people had biases and they had differences. And even though we all went to school together from kindergarten, some of us didn't have the same beliefs. They had different beliefs um, or different biases. And that was also, uh, you know, an important uh, part of, uh, you know, thank God my parents, you know, were, were so open-minded. Uh, because it allowed me to, to at least be born with that open mind. I could close it up if I wanted to as an adult, but I never did. I actually opened it up more.
1: Mm. You mentioned Frank Sinatra there. Before I hand back over to Kristen, um, also, I'm also a massive Francis Albert uh, advocate. Any So, if you know, there again, on the line of music, Maxine, if I was to say to you, like I did previously, you know, give me one piece, give me a piece of the story, give me some inspiration, give me something to cling to. Drawing a parallel with that question to Francis Albert Sinatra, draw one of his songs out that you find or has been a massive inspiration in your life.
3: Mm. Well, I probably the biggest one that one that I I often just turn on on my phone is um, I did it my way. Mm. Um, you know that the uh, that. It, even though he was a man and he could do things his way and he was a star, he, it, it, when you hear those words and you listen to the words, you realize I can do it my way too. What's my, what is my way? You know? And um, you know, I, I, listen to it probably more now than I did because, you know, a different part of my life, uh, not the end, but certainly the last quarter probably, you know, you just think like, what have you done? Have you, you know, left your mark, you know, did you do what you were supposed to do? Did you do that with use God's gifts to, make a difference. And um, I thought I'd recently thought about this. I, you know, I asked my husband, I said, you know, there's going to be an open Senate seat in the state of Missouri, not in the national, uh, but in the state of, I said, in our district, should I run? He said, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, He said, what are you crazy? I said, no, you know, like I, I've thought about it for a long time and I put it off. You know, I never thought I would really, I got so busy, I couldn't do that, but at least I gave it a thought, you know, I didn't, I'm not going to do it, but I gave, I gave it a serious thought about, is, am I, is, is it, do they need me or do we need younger people? Do we, you know, what do we need to really succeed in our state of Missouri? And um, I was glad I had the thought, you know, like I didn't just dismiss it all these years. I just was kept thinking, bringing it back up to say, you know, it, it isn't gone, but it's not, it's not necessarily uh, now or going to happen. But I think we all should think about what, you know, what is our, our, uh, our purpose? What's our our contribution what did we do? we leave the world a better place than we found it and it's not about fancy things i'm i'm a successful person uh, everything i've done my whole life has probably been about a hug my own teddy bear that i lost when i was 10 years old but creating build a bear uh payless kids that we created at, at payless for children to, so that they would like to come and try on shoes and buy shoes and um uh you know this project uh the delmar divine is a hug for the neighborhood a hug for our city um you know, just so many things that are really about, you know, just caring about people beyond yourself, but it makes you so much, uh, have much fuller life. And, and I think that people think it's, they're always so self-focused that they become overly selfish when in fact you get so much more from giving and and working in a bigger platform than you do from just yourself. You know, like it's, it's so much more, more uh, worthwhile. And that's what Frank, you know, he did it his way. And he was a he was a pretty controversial figure. I know he didn't write the song, but it was written as part- particularly for him. And I I sort of have adopted that one too. I'm not as ruthless as he might have been along the way, but <laughs> I've been a survivor of very difficult situations because I was a woman growing up in the business world, and there just wasn't always a a, a, a seat at the table. I had to pull up the chair. Now I did have I did have bosses that really. Welcome my curiosity and welcome my hard work ethic, and and brought me to the table in in many many different ways. But I also had to be willing to to make a mistake, to raise my hand and think I have the answer and be wrong, and somebody to say no, that's not a good idea. Shut up! You know they didn't say it like that, but you know. But then you have to pick yourself up and say, okay, I have another idea. What about this? What about this? What about this? And um, I think that that was a, you know, it's just again being okay to make mistakes. My uh, first grade teacher, Mrs. Grace, who is, I know everybody loves their first grade teacher. She had, you know, they used to grade our papers with the red pencils that, you know, those, uh, they weren't erasable in those days. And every Friday she would go up to the pencil sharpener and she would sharpen it really sharp. And a first grader, six years old, in those days, a red sharp pencil was like a weapon. You know, you had to be, it was an honor to get one. And she would give it away. On Friday, not to the child that made the most, not to the child that was the best behaved, or the child that was um, best attendance, or the smartest. She gave it away to the child that made the most mistakes that week. She encouraged us to raise our hand and try. And then, if you you know, you're not trying to be wrong. That that never is the strong. Just the red pencil wasn't enough to make you be try. You thought you were right, and you were at least trying. But you were never really wrong. You were trying, and that was the most important lesson of all. And um, I had a lot of red pencils in my little pencil box. Uh, and I still think of that. I usually carry a red pencil with me everywhere I go. So when I open my purse, at the bottom of the purse is that red pencil. And I can see it. And I said, that, that's OK. Your your purse is messy today. It's OK. It's not a big deal. Um, but I also give it away when I go to college campuses. I have one with me all the time. Does anybody make a mistake today? Tell me what it was. And then you know I give it away. And uh, I want people to realize that that it's OK to try and not be right all the time. It's OK if nobody's going to shoot you for it, you know, like just you might get a red pencil.
1: Kristen mm. you invited me in for a brief kind of question uh, to Maxine or thoughts. Uh, <laughs> that seems uh, quite a few moments ago now. Um, any, any thoughts on anything oh, you've heard as a result?
2: I love the idea of the, oh, so much. I love the idea of the red pencil. And uh, Sinatra is definitely um, a passion of mine, too. Um, he has a very big connection to Palm Springs where I, where I am. So um, Sinatra town. And I just love that man. Uh, my way, uh, fly me to the moon, come fly with me. Just so many wonderful uh moonlight in vermont uh, you, can, you really can't go wrong with the the chairman of the board but i love the red pencil because i think that our mistakes are one thing that make us all equal because we're all human and mm-hmm. i love the idea that uh your mother maxine championed you asking questions because it seems to me that that's that's natural and that's education and in life the classroom of life so do you think that do you think that uh, that somehow that humanity that com- those common mistakes that we're all afraid to afraid to admit or afraid to own or especially in this age of social media where everybody wants to be uh, perfect and so on tiktok do you think that that humanity is what connects us all
3: Yes. And I think that even, you know, even those things that can be harmful can also be very helpful. Like, you know, I like I one time clicked on a picture of a dog and now I get all the dog stories on TikTok or I love the dancers, you know, the these kind of spontaneous dancers that are in dance classes that take dancing and they, they don't even know they're going to get picked and they end up, they put, turn on a song and they have to dance together. And the the rhythm is so amazing. How do they know how to do that? You know, that that's enjoy that for me is joy. I watch that. And that's like a peaceful thing, not a um, sort of envious. I wish I could do that, but, but that people are still doing that. They're still dancing cheek to cheek. They're still holding hands. They're still um, and, and the energy that that brings. And so there's so many joyful things on there too. There are some things that are, you know, can be difficult but it also can be used for good and I think that that's the the recipe I I don't cook very much but there's lots of simple things that people show you like three di- three uh, ingredient recipes for something delicious and I think wow like I would never have known that you know I would not have known that so it's bringing us a lot of knowledge but it's also bringing us a lot of angst and maybe more people are getting angst than others I don't see mean things I really they haven't come into my feed um, but I know that Friends of mine's children have had some really tough situations, which we had in school too. But remember, we used to just pass notes. Like if you'd pass the note and the teacher caught it, you know, that was it. It didn't go all around the world, you know, like it didn't get to the whole high school or the whole, um, and that's another difference. You know, it's just the speed of light of which everything happens. It, it feels that worse, it feels worse, but but you also can survive it um, uh, with ro- proper parent guidance or the proper friend guidance i mean it happens to adults too who uh get into bad situations take it down the rabbit hole so to speak of um meet people they shouldn't have met you know that there's things like that but it, but i think the good far outweighs the bad um and then you have to have that own self-discipline that's what your parents hopefully your parents are teaching you that and your friends and as you grow up and, and uh, the aging process teaches you to have better instincts but if you never have those experience and never have a bad one experience, you're not going to know what that looks like to, to avoid it in the future. And so you have to kind of pick your fall down and have, hopefully you do it when you've got friends around you to, to help give you a lift up and then you know say, okay, that's not so bad. I I'll I'll keep moving on. And that is the thing I think that resilience is something we have to teach children. I think it's a weird time. I'm not sure they're learning it. Although I think COVID was a real wake up call that we all needed to learn. Um, how to adapt to a difficult situation, and we were all equal in that. You know, we all had to um, stay home from work and wear masks and uh, be worried about somebody else that we knew that was sick. And every time you heard somebody wasn't feeling well, do you have COVID? Was it COVID? You know, we, we had that in common, that commonality, and how do we turn that into the positivity of caring for each other in the future? But I think we all had that that you know COVID experience, whether we were two years old or 92 years old and um so how do we make the most of that rather than just keep going, oh remember that was a covid baby or that was a covid year or that was you know okay yeah it was oh yeah right let's let how do we play on make that better I, i'm just too optimistic to see all of those things uh, bring us down as a as a country as a civilization as human beings that it's an opportunity since we all had it happen to us how can we use that, that common Um, experience to bring us back together, to bring us out in the public, to shake hands. I mean, it's happening, of course, but it it was slow. And it's still slow in some workplaces of people coming back to work, learning from their person sitting next to them, learning from their boss in person. I think those are still tough in some places, worse than others. Absolutely.
2: Definitely. No question that experience was uh, transformative and it showed up it showed the inequalities um, in terms of, you know, access to, for example, kids that didn't have access to the internet, learning in neighborhoods and so on, and didn't have the resources that some kids did, uh, some parents didn't have that have those resources uh, when kept home for a long time. But also, we, there was such commonality with Concern about our neighbors. You're right. We were all concerned about our neighbors, our loved ones, our our friends, and we were all in the same boat to to some degree. And some of those uh, moments of of crisis can bring can bring us together. And but then when the times are good, we it sort of, it seems like we sort of forget about that.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, we go back to our old habits.
2: So how can we? remember that we're all equal when when the times are good. When, And I know there's a lot of challenges in the world, but good is, is relative. What's good for one may not be good for another, but somehow we have to remember that we're all equal. How do we do that when everything is going great? Yeah,
3: we all are equal, but we live in different, might live in different circumstances that affect that you know, coming, bubbling up in a good way or a bad way, um, uh, you know, differently. And so we, we people like us who feel like we do have to speak up. We can't let the status quo or the numbness come back. You know, we have to make sure that we're encouraging people to think outside of their box, to meet new people, to, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, hybrid meetings. There are less and less people on the computer than on in the meeting room and they are the people that are on the hybrid feel left out you know because they people forget to call on them people we can we need to make people feel inclusive but we also need to bring people back into i think a being with each other again being able to read you know see somebody's face somebody's smile somebody's tears um not to turn off the screen if you will you know to be able to you know enjoy each other the good the bad and the ugly and and laugh and cry with each other. And, and those of us who who are speak, like the three of us can have a lot of impact on that because we know, we see it, we we care. And how do you help another person? I am a big, um, uh, I say hello to everyone. And I, of course, I, I'm i sort of in in St. Louis, people recognize me. They'll know that I'm Maxine Clark and they'll come up to me and say, oh, we met two years ago and just thank you for this or thank you for that. And I'll say, oh, tell me about yourself. Tell me, you know, like we've got to do this. It's It actually is so joyful. It is so happy. I am, I am so happy every day when I learn something about somebody I didn't know and meet someone I didn't know and realize that we have a lot in common. And I try to find that commonality. I think that's another thing that the three of us can do is because we know this is where do you find the things we're equal in? Maybe it's our age, maybe it's our height, maybe it's our gender, maybe it's the school we went to, maybe it's the, the work we like to do. How do we just not look for differences? Which is what we see when we first come up to somebody strange, but then say, "What? What is it that we have in common?" I I heard a story. A friend of mine is a, um, a film producer in California, and he told me a story, and he turned it into a film. It was a short film, but he walked into a um, in San Francisco. He walked into a restaurant bathroom, and there was a man in there who was changing his a, a man who looked like he'd been homeless, and was taking his suit out of a suit, you know, one of those plastic suit bags and changing clothes into a suit. And he would was fixing his tie in the mirror and he was standing up straight, but he still had no shoes on. He had no shoe or he had flip-flops or something. And he he asked him, he said, I, excuse me, like can I help you? Do you, you know you need any help with your jacket? And he said, oh no. He says, I'm just trying to remind myself of who I was. And he told him the story that he had been a, a CPA and his wife had been a lawyer. And their child had died and they both went into tremendous remorse and they divorced and became, lost their jobs and became homeless. He became homeless and he was trying to remind himself that he wasn't just a homeless person. And I thought to myself like that, you know, when you see people on the corners, panhandling or whatever, you know, they're a person. And, you know, that's, if he hadn't told me that story, I'm not sure I would have always, I now look for that. I always think I kind of make myself up a story as I'm driving by somebody like that. Oh, they were probably a professor at a university in Iraq and now they had to come to America and they can't get a job in America and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm telling myself that they have humanity and they do have humanity. And everybody they probably did do something else. They were a soldier and now they have PTSD and they're homeless. I mean, just there's so much opportunity for a hug, for us to not even physically hug the person but acknowledge that person, wave to that person, say hello, how's your day? Those are the simple things in life. And and when they say hello back, you go, thank you, you know, have a great day, you know, whatever it is, it is so small. And it means so much to some people more than others. But I think most of us, it's really like, the littlest thing is means, you know, a million bucks. And, um, and I think that there's probably a Frank Sinatra song about that too. I just isn't coming to mind, but, but it, it this is rocket science. This is being a human being. And we all, most of us learn to, you know, some people don't co- grow up in a family that teaches those values, but for the most part, those of us that do then have a stronger burden to teach it, to pass it on to others. And, um, I think we, we have a lot of opportunity to really get people back on track, to get the world back on track, to get people back together again. Um, about things they have in common instead of being mad about it being broken what what's what would you suggest you know do you have a not not in a s- s- sarcasm, but how how would you like to see th- this happen in your neighborhood how would you like to see what what does, we did that here at our project we got a lot of neighborhood input and that's why it's successful because we got a lot of people's input i had an idea i had a good idea But Build-A-Bear was successful because every single child that makes a bear or a person, they make a different one that means something to them. It's not about me. I made the platform, but they get to have the joy every single day. And that joy is, I don't know, 250 million now or more. I didn't start out knowing I was going to sell 250 million stuffed animals. I just knew we were going to have fun and we were going to make kids smile. And it got to be a lot more smiles. So why is that not the power of every day of whatever we do, everybody's not going to start a Build-A-Bear. And every project doesn't have to be as big as Delmar Divine. It can be small, but meaningful. And that's what sometimes gets us. Oh, I couldn't do anything like her you know, or him, but they can't, we can. And um, I'm reading these titles on the books behind uh, Kristen. And I'm thinking like, yeah, like uncertainty is kind of like a, a you know, an opportunity and change is something new. And, uh, you know, telling our, our stories that we tell ourselves are sometimes empowering and sometimes they're dimin- diminishing. But we have to, you know, not do the diminishing stories. We have to tell ourselves, remember the things that we did that um, empower us to not be diminished, to be taller than we than we really look. People said that to me also after, um, it, well, they, after COVID, when you'd meet people in person and you hadn't met them before, they'd say, "Oh, I thought you were so much taller," you know, like. And I thought that's a good thing. I didn't see that as a negative. I saw that that's good. That man, I I had a, a presence, you know, that they could. Uh, enjoy while I was on the screen. I could talk about this forever uh, because you're you all are um, kindred spirits of mine. And I didn't know about Frank Sinatra either, so that's really um, a big thing. But because uh, not a lot of people today, you know, even know who, when I say Frank Sinatra, they don't even know who I'm talking about. But uh, the life is 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 worth living, and some of us have healthier lives than others. Uh, that's a whole nother opportunity. The the inequities in the healthcare system. Um, But we have to we have to work for children to be as healthy as possible because they're going to be the adults that are going to be taking over this world. And if they don't start out on a good foot, um, we're going to we're going to have some serious challenges up ahead. I mean, there's just such a low unemployment rate and not a lot of people to fill the jobs that are available. And if our children don't get healthier or stay healthy, start out healthy, get healthier and grow into being who it is they want to be, we are going to I won't be here then. But, you know, 25 years, we'll look back on this and say didn't we see this coming? Like what happened? No, no people to fill jobs, no teachers to teach our children in schools. No. um, That's a real problem in our society, but it's not a priority. People aren't worried about the teachers. They're worried about the doctors and the scientists and the politicians. And it's the teachers that we should be so worried about and having enough and having good quality and paying them more than they deserve so much more than they have gotten up till now, but they're not going to be, there's so many other choices. Women, that used to teach when i was in elementary school can now do be, be, instead of being a math teacher they can be an engineer they can be a scientist they can be a, a, a medical doctor not just a, a phd teaching they can be so not and i don't mean just like that's not important but they have so many opportunities and we're just not going to have enough people uh to to fill the the brain power that teachers give us and that is, I I imagine that's a problem in the UK as well as in the United States, but it's a severe problem in the United States. Most Mm -hmm. teachers are paid lowest on the totem pole, where in China, they're paid pretty high on the totem pole. So, you know, I think that's another value that we haven't maximized in our country for equality, for equity, um, for inclusion.
1: So at that point, ladies, I just want to say thank you both so much for what for me has been a fascinating dance to to listen to and to be part of immense gratitude to you both. Maxine as a guest for the first time, particularly Kristen. And I mean this lovingly and respectfully, you're kind of an old hand now and part of the WGC of furniture. So maybe just maybe we get a bit complacent or note to self, Paul, don't get complacent. Uh, But thanks anyway, both of you, because I want to offer something by way. I mean, there's much listeners that we can take out of this, so much richness in this, in this dialogue, this dance. But I want to close out, if I may, by homing back in on the on the music. Uh, But first of all, I want to ask this question. In fact, no, I'm going to ask the question that I never got to ask. But we haven't got time for the answer. Uh, Well, we have got time, but let's not let's sort of put that on pause and take away. But hold that thought about the question. But before that, by way of closing out, Maxine, we've alluded to Francis Albert. just a simple yes or no. Perry Como always one of your favourites. I Tim, but but he wasn't he wasn't Frank. Okay, um, I like
3: Tony Bennett. I did like Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, the reason I he focused, was kind of like Frank. focused in on Perry Como was um, I think it's great, Kristen. This is going to come as no surprise to you. You know what's coming next, but to kind of maybe close <laughs> out with a song because um, music is a great one, as we've alluded to already, to break down barriers of inequality. And it brings in humour. You know, isn't it true that we go through life and we take ourselves so serious for fear of being judged? You know, I'm going to sing a song and the world might not like it and judge me and call me silly, call me stupid. But what if we got to a stage where we didn't really care? And, And on this, as we know, with inequality, there's many, many, many different avenues, gender being one of them. But I just want to close out before I ask that question, the question um, from the from the lyrics of Pericoma, when he sang. When you're the father of boys, how you worry. When you're the father of girls, you do more than that. You pray from the time of Huckle and Finn. Till the time she cries, don't come in. You worry night and day. Bit of humour, hopefully a bit of energy. Um, yeah,
3: no, no, it's a good song. It was a good song. I, I didn't. See, I don't remember songs that he sang, but I can remember things. Uh, you know that Frank Sinatra sang because I listened to them over. I don't. I have the Frank Sinatra channel on my radio. You know, on, on Sirius XM they have a Frank Sinatra channel, and I listened to it you know, going you know, every, everywhere that I go. So I, I hear the songs, over, they're not all Frank Sinatra, they'll bring in the genre, you know, of of that time. But I've, I haven't had, heard of Perry Como song in a long time, but one song I want to end on with Frank Sinatra was High Hopes. I think mm-hmm. that we should have high hopes, that it is pi- apple pie in the sky hopes that we can make America and the world a, a, a hug again, to be back together again, to think about the common good Um, that there's nothing, you know, better than that. And I I do have high hopes.
1: Okay. And that's very, very, a very profound segue, Maxine, for me to ask the the final question requires no answer. Just leave it with listeners, with you two beautiful ladies as well, to think about whatever it means to you in your world. And it's this. Maxine, what you've explained to us throughout this fascinating dance has obviously been based on a very strong emotional intelligence a very compassionate, art-centered approach, compassion for for fellow human beings. But on that AI, dear, I call it, foundation, what this new phenomenon called AI, artificial intelligence and chat GPT and, and stuff like that. And I just wonder, I just wonder, ladies and listeners, what part AI plays in today's world in terms of equality? And I'll leave and close out with that question for us all to ponder and on that note i'm going to close out for the final time by the way i always do by saying remember the world's changing how will you respond
0: thanks very much for listening to this world game changes podcast episode hopefully you found it interesting and helpful Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond?